Well, greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us at Wilshire today. Thanks for everybody that's here live. Thanks for everybody that's here Memorex. Okay, those people that laughed are old people because that's an old commercial. That is an old commercial, but I'm impressed with you. Um, if you are visiting Wilshire, let me assure you, you've come to a wonderful church. And uh, I hope that you'll stay after worship services. Uh, we will have coffee. Last week we had carbohydrates, so maybe we will have carbohydrates to go with the coffee. I don't know. But I hope you'll stay, share a little time of fellowship with us, and then Jeremy Beller is going to give us a lesson uh, for the adults, and there are, there are classes for the kids after that. So please join us. You are very welcome here today. Uh, the Muslim holy book, the Quran, has a, a phrase that it uses about a cer certain group of people. Al-Al-Kitab, I don't speak Arabic, so I'm probably butchering that. Al-Al-Kitab. And what that phrase means is the people of the book. And Muhammad, as he wrote the Quran or delivered the Quran, he said there are certain groups of people who worship other gods, they worship idols, and that's one group. And then he singled out the Jews and the Christians as al-al-kitab, the people of the book. Because one of the things that's unique, and actually, you know, our perspective is that's where Muhammad got this idea. One of the things that's really powerfully unique about Christianity and Judaism is this strong, central claim that God has chosen to use humans to give us a book to help us understand him, to speak through prophets, to speak through human people like us in order for us to draw closer to him. We are the people of the book, and that's a blessing from God. And as I've been going through the book of Deuteronomy and thinking what would be useful to present, I realized Deuteronomy does some heavy lifting early on in Israel's history to help establish that whole principle of God speaking to prophets and prophets and inspired people bringing that word to us. Deuteronomy does some great work helping us understand that. We read one of the passages. That was our scripture reading this morning. Thank you for that. And if you've got your study sheet, you can look along with me. Or if you're, if you're in your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. We're also going to look at another passage in Deuteronomy that talks about this same principle. The longest one is here in Deuteronomy. I'm going to break it up so we can understand it perhaps a little bit. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. 
For this is what you ask of the Lord at Mount Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let's not, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What sign is good? Uh, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So Moses there explains why he is now God's prophet, and he says it's because you asked me to at Mount Sinai, at Mount Horeb. Now, if you go back to Exodus, Exodus chapters 19 and 20, this story, you see this story playing out. God speaks from the mountain and, and uh, talks to Moses and says, Moses, tell the people that they are my chosen people. They are my holy nation, my priesthood on earth. And the people accept that commission from God. And then God says, well, in three days, I want to speak to the whole group of the people. And God, on the third day, everybody prepares. And on the third day, Exodus 19 says, the mountain shook. There was the sound of a very loud trumpet. And God addresses the people. God descended in fire. And he speaks. And the people's reaction was this. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 20, actually, after the Ten Commandments, verses 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain of smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. God delivers his Ten Commandments. God speaks to the people, but then they say, please don't have God speak again. We can't bear to hear what God is saying. Now, why is that? Why is that? Hearing God is hard for us. Why? Well, it's obviously really scary. That's what this passage is all about. Thunder, lightning, trumpet blast, rumbling voice, fire exploding on the top of the mountain like a volcano. And God's voice was too terrible to listen to. It's terrifying. But what kind of terror is that? What kind of fear are we talking about when the Israelites say, don't let God speak again to us? You speak. You go up. You talk. Well, I think part of it is that God is just too big. It's like his voice is coming from too many places at once when he talks. And it's hard for us to be in the presence of the voice of God. 1 Timothy 6, you don't have to turn there. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives 
in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. God is too big for us. And he's also, I think part of the fear is that God is too good for us, too holy for us. It's like experiencing overwhelming righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Isaiah talks about his call to be a prophet. And he said, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That's an awe-inspiring vision to receive. You'd think Isaiah would be happy to see this little glimpse into God's reality, to see this little glimpse into heaven where God lives, and to see what it's like to have these incredibly powerful beings, the the seraphim-type angels, themselves turning to worship God who is infinitely above them in power and majesty and glory. Holy, holy, holy. Glory fills the entire world. You'd think Isaiah would be thrilled. But what he actually is, is terrified. The next words are Isaiah speaking and saying, Woe to me. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, Isaiah says. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah says, human beings aren't made for this. Isaiah is not a terrible person. But he's being confronted with absolute perfection true holiness and righteousness. And in the presence of absolute perfection and holiness and righteousness, even the smallest sins appear like gigantic tumors and warts. And Isaiah says, I can't stand it. I'm doomed. Not only that, Isaiah lives among people who are, there are some good people, but there are some bad people. And and as By and large, life in this world is like that. It's a mixed world of good and bad, and we're mixed, good and bad. And in the presence of the Almighty God, woe is me, is the initial response. It's hard for us when God speaks. And so God says, what the people have asked for at the foot of Mount Sinai is a good thing. 
And he tells Moses, I will put my words in your mouth and you will go and represent me to these people. The same way I had you represent me to the great power of Pharaoh in Egypt, I will now have you represent me to these Israelites that I want to make my nation, my priests on earth. The book of Deuteronomy is laying the foundation for us of God who is beyond us. He is too mighty by far for us to even wrap our minds around, let alone listen to directly. And God could leave us in that condition, but instead God takes step after step after step, and this step of prophecy is one of those, to come down to us. To say, I want you to know me, and I want you to know my word. And so I give you prophets who will speak what I say, and I want you to listen when they talk. I want you to recognize it's my voice speaking. What's the other name we usually give to this book besides the Bible? The good book? Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that is another name. I was raised to call this also the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, this is the Word of God. And Deuteronomy is kind of helping us understand the theological foundations for why we have this book. Why we have the words of prophecy. Why we have the words of inspired people. God's breath in their mouths speaking out to us what God wants them to say. Why do we have that? It's because God himself is too big for us, too scary for us, and too holy for us to hear directly. And then there's a a couple more pieces of theology that the book of Deuteronomy puts in place for us. Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22. But... A prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That That prophet has spoken presumptuously, without authorization. So do not be afraid of them. If God is really speaking through someone, if God is really inspiring a prophet or someone, what is said will be true. That's our first test that Deuteronomy lays out for us. If someone is truly inspired by God, what they say for God will be true. If they tell you something's going to happen, it will be true. If they tell you something happened, it will be true. The word of God is true. That's foundational for this this system of prophecy that God is establishing. Second test is over in Deuteronomy chapter 13. It's already been given. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams or 
appears among you and, an, and announces to you a sign or a wonder. And if the sign or the wonder spoken takes place. So this is talking about a prophet who does miracles or provides signs. If a pro, even a prophet who shows up and does miracles, does signs, does wonders. But if that prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commandments and obey him. Second test for prophecy from God. It's always going to draw us closer to God. Someone gets up and puts on an amazing religious display. Signs, miracles, incredible displays of power. And then they say anything that leads you away from God do not listen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns about this. Matthew chapter 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come in to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and drive out demons in your name, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Not everybody who looks holy is holy. Not everybody who can quote some scripture really believes the scripture. Not everybody who says, I am speaking for God, actually even knows God. And Jesus says, by these tests, is it true? And does it bring, bear fruit in bringing us closer to God? This is the way that we test the prophets. This, there are other tests that are actually given in other parts of Scripture. But I think it's interesting to notice that those instructions are given in Deuteronomy. And what that means, it means a lot of things, but one of the things that that means is every book that is in your Bible, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Acts and Romans, Every book that is in your Bible has been judged over and over and over and over again as passing those tests. Is it true? 
And does that bring us closer to God? So the reason we are the people of the book is because of this principle of inspiration, of prophecy. There's one more meaning. It's not on your study sheet, so you get no clues today. There's one more meaning I want you to notice. The first word that Moses says in Deuteronomy 18 is, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from among your fellow Israelites. And there were lots of prophets after Moses. Elijah comes in when there's a horrible national crisis. And he speaks the words that God needs to be said. And Isaiah comes and writes and speaks to Israel what's going wrong. And Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos. There were lots of prophets. But the Jews... As they looked at the prophets that had been sent, they said, has there been a prophet like Moses? Have we had that prophet? And by the time that we get to the first century, they actually talked about the prophet. The prophet like Moses, the prophet. Has that happened yet? Who is the prophet like Moses? Well, if you read your New Testament for very long or very deeply, you realize that Jesus is many things. He's the Messiah. He's the king from the line of David come to reestablish that dynasty forever. You realize he's the priest and the temple all rolled into one everywhere Jesus is. And eventually everywhere Jesus' people are where his spirit resides is the temple and the priest. And the New Testament clearly claims that Jesus is also the prophet like Moses. It does it in many ways. One passage that's striking because it mentions this prediction is Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. If you have your Bibles, let's just look at this because it's not on your study sheet. Repent then. This is after Peter and John have healed a man who was begging by the side of the main gate of the temple. And he's gone causing a huge disruption, walking and leaping, this guy who used to be unable to even stand. And the crowd gathers and they want to know what's going on. And he says, and Peter says this partly, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. Indeed, all the prophets, beginning with Samuel, have spoken, uh, uh, have foretold these days. You are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. 
When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the principle of prophecy. I am grateful for the Bible. I am a Bible preacher. You guys know that. One of the reasons I'm so in love with the Wilshire Church of Christ is that this is a church that actually wants me to preach from the Bible, which is what I want to do and feel called to do. I love the Bible. But the real reason I love the Bible is because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than and the power in this amazing book that we can hold in our hands. God raised him up. God put his spirit in him. God sent him to say what God needed to be said. And when Jesus speaks, it's true. And when Jesus speaks, it pulls us back to God. Jesus is the prophet, like Moses. Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful that you have taken steps to come to us because we are helpless to try and climb to you. We are grateful that you sent Moses and the other prophets. We are grateful that you are willing to put your words in our only half-clean mouths and have people like us speak to us in language we can understand, in language in your Bible that we can apply directly to our hearts. God, we are grateful that you have given us that blessing. But far more, Lord, this morning, we are grateful that you have sent us the prophet like Moses, Jesus Christ. Our prophet, our priest, our king, the one who now sits at your right hand and will one day come to claim this world so that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to be faithful to the prophet you have sent us, Jesus Christ. Help us to listen to what he tells us and to be determined, if all else fails in our lives, to do what he tells us to do. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation to be part of what he started with Moses and the Israelites, and brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If you want to be part of this Jesus movement, following the one that will one day judge the world, if you're ready today to take his name and receive baptism, then we're going to invite you to come and tell us that, and we will baptize you today. If you have any other need as well, come forward, tell us what we can do for you as we stand and are led in song.